the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a delight to bring back presidential historian Tevi Troy. His most recent book, it's a great read, Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump, came out this year. I read it in about two days. Most of you could read it in about one. It's a really good book. And I'll introduce Tevi again the way I introduced Paul Mirangoff in reverse earlier in the week uh, when we were talking with Paul Mirangoff about a book review he wrote. There was a time in the 70s and 80s, maybe 60s, 70s and 80s, when often uh, book reviews, book reviewers and reviews were as good, as important or better than the book itself. And, and there was a, a real interest in, in, in reading you know, the book review and who the book reviewer was more so than the book. And I used that to introduce – I said uh, of Paul Mirangoff, his review of the book we talked about, he was that guy. And that's what Tevi has become for uh, a lot of us as well. Um, he has um, made a cottage in just industry of being the uh, book reviewer par excellence. He also does an end-of-the-year book review, which we'll get to in a little bit. But first, I was interested, Tevi, in welcoming you back to talk about two books – one of which you did review, Barack Obama's new first step in his third autobiography. And and then I wanted to talk to you about this new biography of Jimmy Carter that's kind of interesting and presidential biography generally. So welcome back, brother. Great. Thanks for having me on. I'm very impressed you've got the mysterious Paul Maringoff, who writes a lot but doesn't usually appear in the media right. on the show. Yeah. And also, I agree with you about book reviews. Book reviews used to be a really big deal. Yeah. I'll just give one quick presidential story yeah. that Dwight McDonald reviewed a famous book um, in the 1960s for, um, for The New Yorker, and Kennedy read the review of the book in The New Yorker and based the whole idea for The Great Society on it. And, and 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 was that what's it Harrington's book? Yeah, it was Michael Harrington's yeah. book, How the Other Half Lived. Yeah, about poverty in West Virginia. Yeah, right. This that that's interesting. That was based on Dwight McDonald's review. I didn't realize that. Right. McDonald's very long review in the, in the New Yorker that went on and on and on. Yeah, was, no. So there are a couple ways that that's. Been, yeah, no. That was done with the New York Review of Books for a while. It was done in Commentary Magazine. I think it might still be. Um, and. Uh, of course, we have the Claremont Review of Books, which tried to be the answer and I think is a better answer than the New York Review of yeah, Books. tried to imply that they did not succeed. I think they have been pretty successful. I guess I should say catalyzed to and succeeded right. in overcoming the New York Review of Books for intellectual heft. Is that a better way to put it? I've got to say, I can't tell you the last time somebody said to me, have you seen something in the New York Review Correct. Book? And I can tell you a lot of times when people have said, have you seen this in the Claremont Correct, Review? correct. Now, it is possible... Par- Partially that we live in a, a conservative world, but uh, look, conservatives do read uh, the New Yorker and the New York Times and you know, the National Review sometimes. But uh, you know, I, I think that the New York Review of Books is not what it used to be, and right. the Claremont Review of Books is extremely important. is 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 promise is is everything. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're delighted to have you. Um, let's get this out of the way first, and then we'll. Well, no, let's do it this way. You had a good review of President of Barack Obama's most recent. Um, 
autobiography. Is it A Promised Land? Is that what it's titled? That is indeed what it's titled. And you had it in the City Journal, which is a fantastic journal as well, home of Heather MacDonald, among others. All right. What surprised you about Barack Obama's autobiography that just came out? Well, one thing that you and I have talked about privately is how many times he mentions his smoking habit. Yeah. I mean, that really yeah. jumped out at me. Yeah. Obviously, as you know, smoking has become much more socially disfavored since Obama first started writing his memoirs. I guess uh, uh, this first one came out in the 90s. Uh, and he talked a little bit about his smoking habit there. Uh, he talks about it more here, and it's just surprising in the kind of blue state elite circles that he hangs out in that uh, it's really found upon. And in fact, Michelle looked upon it as a, as a mark against him when they were dating. Mm-hmm. I so think, that was one thing. That yeah, no, and I think he was hiding it from her as much as the American public when he was president. Right. The other thing that surprised me is just how good the story of his first, I guess, 40 years on Earth is. This guy who came pretty much from nowhere uh, rises up. I mean, it's really... It is the American dream come true. I know the Democrats don't like to talk about the American dream so much, but, uh, but that, that's what it is. The guy who kind of rises on his merit and takes advantage of certain opportunities. And, and he has a, an opportunity in 2004 to give a speech in a, uh, in, in, in a big platform at the Democratic National Convention, and he makes the most of it. And he says after that moment, after that speech in 2004, he was never able to walk around without being recognized ever again. Right. It right. kind of reminds me of the story of um, the actors from Friends, were mm-hmm. brought by James L. Brooks, who was the director of Friends, mm-hmm. to a casino in Vegas mm-hmm. the night before the show debuted. Mm-hmm. And he said, walk around and enjoy yourself, because this is the last night you'll ever be able to walk around mm-hmm. unrecognized for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great story. Right. I bet you could have said that about the Seinfeld cast, too, although maybe it wasn't so foreordained at the it time. It wasn't so immediate right. with Seinfeld. Right. Seinfeld took time to build. But Friends, yeah. I mean, once that show came on, it was a sensation. Yeah. So the, I, I was there for that speech in '04, and uh, I remember how much everyone was talking about it thereafter. But there's something odd about Barack Obama's history of himself, too, isn't there? Um, first of all, his first 40 years of life, the American dream, yes. But he had, one way or another, access to the most elite of the elite institutions along the way, right? His elementary school was is, is one of, was one of the most elite schools in the country. Yeah, Punahou, right? Hawaii. The Punahou School. Um, that is on par. I mean, maybe not exactly, but pretty close to being on par with some of those elite, um, you know, elite uh, schools on the East Coast that that. Uh, that, that students go to boarding school and stuff like that for, right? It's, uh, sure, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, and he goes from there and is coddled very much along the way with a few mysteries in between. Occidental seems to be a bit of a mystery. All of a sudden, we transport to Columbia and then to Harvard. Um, but one of well, the, he goes to Harvard for law school. Right, law Columbia and then Harvard for law school. But one of the... Um, one of the interesting things is he he is not at ease. I take from your review, he is still not at ease with Jeremiah Wright. <laughs> That's true. I'll tell you why I say that because if I'm reading your review right, he's talking about um, telling Jeremiah Wright that he can't show up at his presidential announcement because he tends to get a little over the top, quote unquote. Right? I remember yeah. seeing that first quoted in a Rolling Stone profile of Obama in mm, 07, and it didn't get a lot of play. But when he was running in 08, and those videos of Jeremiah Wright 
were coming out, courtesy of mostly Sean Hannity, to be honest, and not very many others, about GD America. He went and gave this major speech at Pennsylvania and along in Philadelphia, along the way saying, I never saw Wright give those kinds of speeches. He had already said to Wright he knew he was over the top. And now today, a month ago, he's justifying Wright all over again in relation to Raphael Warnock, saying that Wright was taken out of context. He's not at ease with where he is on Jeremiah Wright, I don't think. Yeah, look, at what does he say in the book? Uh, some of his speeches were over the top. Yeah. I think I wrote in, in, um, in my draft of it something like, gee, thanks. Yeah, how The editor of the City Journal changed that a yeah. little bit. But, uh, uh, but, I mean, really, it's a little over the top. I mean, he, he was saying outrageous things on a regular basis from his pulpit, as does Warnock, by the way, mm-hmm. and he's not really getting called out on it right. in the mainstream press. And people are making excuses about it, and Obama made excuses about it. And he, you know, he said... Uh, he, against the advice of all of his advisors, he said, well, I have to make a speech about this. this is, uh, don't, don't make a speech. And he said he made a speech about it. And, you know, I mean, he had this belief that was quite manifest in the, in the first term that he could make a speech on anything and it would change the dynamic. Everything would turn around. Obama thought so, that of himself. Yeah. yeah. And it just wasn't the case. I mean, he gave a great speech in '04. There's no doubt about it. That was a career-making speech. But it is not clear to me that he subsequently had some kind of ability to speak on an issue and suddenly change everybody's mind about it when people kind of... Well, okay, so that's another interesting aspect of Obama, this great rhetorician, supposed, this great man of letters, this, you know, instructor or professor or whatever he calls himself or people want to call him at Chicago Law, eight years of the presidency and no great memorable speeches. Yeah, name one phrase of his that you remember from a speech. Well, they're negative. It's the same thing I say of Bill right. Clinton. You know, right. it's, yeah. it's all negative. If you want to keep, if right. you want to keep your plan, right. you can keep your plan. I mean, right. That's about it. That's about it. Right. And that was called the lie of the year by Politifact. Um, by Politifact. Yeah, yeah. So isn't that an interesting thing? As opposed to obviously about four speeches or five, we could think of of Reagan's during his presidency. Never mind. 10 prior to him becoming president. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely. And I actually, was, um, I've been working on something that I'll, I'll share with you later. All right, good. We'll pick up on that rhetoric. if you want when we come back on the other. You can stay a while, right? Because we've got to do yeah, a lot. Absolutely. Here. Happy to do it. We're talking with presidential historian Tevi Choi, his own most recent book, Fight House Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump. If you have questions about the Obama presidency, um, of course, or any other presidency, Tevi's your guy. Happy to take calls. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Our guest is Tevi Troy, author of Fight House, presidential historian. And uh, we're reviewing a couple books about presidents um, that have just come out. Tevi, you were uh, right before the break. You were we were we were talking about memorable speeches uh, of of you know presidents who have been uh, saluted and heralded for their speech making ability, and Obama had none um, that we can think of, as opposed to someone like Reagan, who had a great many pre and during presidency, right? Yeah, but let, let me just uh, be a little fair to Obama here. I mean, I think it's Reagan that's the exception, not Obama. Okay. I think Reagan is kind of an oasis in terms of memorable political rhetoric. If you look at the president immediately before and immediately after Reagan, they're not really known for any great 
speech of rhetoric. I mean, Jimmy Carter's known for the malaise speech, but the, the, the word malaise wasn't even in that speech, and it was a failure. Uh, Gerald Ford is known for our long national nightmare is over, which isn't really uh, not a great, great speech, rhetoric. particularly um, right. Yeah. Nixon's known for I am not a crook. Yeah, uh, and then go, going past him, I mean, Bush is known for. Uh, his, his famous line about uh, read my lips, no new taxes, which is a promise that he broke. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Clinton's known for I did not have sex with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. It's not, it was sordid and untrue. So it's not like presidents. I mean, we all like to talk about John F. Kennedy and ask. Kennedy him, had a couple. Did. Johnson, maybe right. a couple. Very few on but, civil um, so rights. It, it, I think Kennedy, Reagan are system. the exceptions. Maybe um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing to fear but fear itself. So uh-huh. it, it's. It is not the average president does not have a memorable, memorable piece of great rhetoric. Okay. He may have something famous that he said, and usually some kind of gaffe or something that. Uh, but it's uh, not a beautiful speech in, in and of itself. But a beautiful piece of rhetoric is, is a relatively rare thing. It is the exception, not the norm, when it comes to birth. What um, when you think of Ronald Reagan's, he also had a famous group of speechwriters too, um, oh, yes. and. It, it, it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it, with Reagan and his speechwriters? They, like some in other presidencies, were happy to be known as speechwriters. Others have done a more anonymous job of it. Um, but one still attributes it to Reagan, right? Yeah. And can I say something else about his speechwriters? Mm-hmm. Which is that they were willing to fight for their rhetoric. Mm-hmm. The, the whole line about uh, Mr. Gorbachev tar- tear down this wall, right. that was proposed by speechwriters and fought by the State Department and the National Security Council uh, over and over again, including David Gergen, who tried to get it excised. Mm-hmm. And uh, Peter Robinson fought for it, and he even says that sometimes he circumvented the process, he went around the process, sometimes he went directly to Reagan, and he eventually got it in there. Mm-hmm. And also uh, Peggy Noonan in the great speech about Challenger, she was also fighting for the rhetoric. I mean, they had 12 hours to put that speech together, maybe less. And uh, she was getting involved in fights to make sure that her words were kept in there and not what the, you know, the so-called weenies of the, uh, of the speech, right, not of the uh, staff secretary's office. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, back to uh, Barack Obama. Is it an honest autobiography? Well, it's honest and disingenuous at the same time. Okay. Now, that sounds contradictory. Yeah. I think honest, uh, Barack Obama is kind of giving you his honest interior monologue. But I think he's disingenuous about how he looks at the world and how he looks at people. I think he gives conservatives short shrift. I think he he uh, thinks the worst of them and doesn't give credence to their arguments, while uh, almost all liberals are, are given the benefit of the doubt. I think that he starts every policy section with some kind of long potted history of the issue from his perspective. That is how he views it, like his uh, history of the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict that's been getting some pushback on it. I think he honestly views it that way, but I think it's a blinkered way of looking at it. And how is he as far as fairness to, I mean, he likes to hold himself up as a as a uniter, as a bipartisan character. How hard is he on his opposition? Yeah, I mean, there's one point, and I point this out in the review, that he refers um, skeptically to something saying, well, this came from the likes of Karl Rove. Without saying, well, what's wrong with Karl Rove? I mean, m- maybe you have an argument against Karl Rove. That's fine. But can you tell us what the argument is instead of just dismissing and saying the likes of Karl Rove? 
Okay, got it. Uh, what else do you want me to ask you about this uh, book, or what else did you find interesting in the in the Obama book that that is worthy of note? Uh, I, I liked uh, just generally how he described uh, the internal workings of the White House. Uh, you, you know, in my book, Fight House, I talk about conflict and that, that there was this myth of no drama Obama. And he makes clear that there was more fighting in the White House than they let on at the time. It was kind of a convenient political uh, myth to put out there to say that, oh, there was no drama because they all read everything so perfectly and they all got along. But there, there was infighting there, and I'm glad he acknowledges it. That's the thing that I'm... Uh, definitely keeping in, in my files for future writing on the subject. One of the interesting other books that came out this year um, is a new book on Jimmy Carter. Can I switch to that for a moment? Of course. Jonathan Alter has a biography of Jimmy Carter, and it's, um, what shall we say? It's an attempt to, what, re- reignite interest in Jimmy Carter? It, it's It's an odd thing, isn't it? Um, I don't know if it's an attempt to reignite interest in him so much as to kind of resurrect his reputation. Okay. Um, and, and, and something was done recently um, a couple of years ago by uh, Stu Eisenstadt, who happens to be a, a friend of mine, but he uh, he wrote that 800-page book trying to make Carter look, uh, in my mind, better than, than he actually uh, turned out to be. So, uh, so yeah, I think there has been a, an effort to uh, resurrect the Carter reputation uh, by, by Democratic partisans, and that's that's fine. That's their, uh, their right to do so. But I think anybody uh, who, who remembers the Carter years remembers it's not good. And I think in this, and in so many ways, the, um, the pop culture in some ways is the ultimate judge. And if you recall in The Simpsons, when they unveil the statue of Jimmy Carter at the base of the pedestal, it says, Malays forever. Yeah. And one of the people in the audience says, Jimmy Carter, he's one of history's greatest monsters. Right. So I'll, <laughs> I'll let The Simpsons have the last word on that one. <laughs> but Jonathan Alter's interesting to me because um, I've been bending your ear about this new Showtime five-part series on Ronald Reagan. I think it's called The Reagans. And it's interesting because they it, it's an attempt – I don't know who was asking for this. I suppose someone's always asking for, for iconoclasm. But it was an attempt to make Ronald Reagan look like a monster, look ro- like make Ronald Reagan's presidency and rise to the presidency a massive, all a massive failure of uh, racial innuendo and dog whistles. Very interesting. Everything Reagan said, whether it was cutting taxes, whether it was talking about states' rights, whether it was about welfare, was a was a racist was a racist dog whistle. They have several political scientists on that are labeled as political scientists that I have never heard of. Um, they have That's already a bad time. Well, the only reason I suspect I'm suspicious about them, and I guess I should have written their names down to look them up if they said anything interesting, I would have. Is that they have Kitty Kelly interviewed, and they list her whenever she's on camera as Nancy Reagan biographer, which isn't exactly right. And then the other person they go to a lot is Jonathan Alter, who wrote this Carter biography. I've got to take a quick break, but I want to talk to you about that a little bit and this effort to at once bring back Jimmy Carter and at the same time, uh, what shall we say, uh, if not dismiss, um, uh, but degrade Ronald Reagan. Can we talk about that when we come back? Absolutely. We'll be right back with presidential historian Tevi Troy.
Jacobson Show. If you're in the real estate market, either buying or selling, you want to call my friend James Wexler of JMG Real Estate. He guarantees to sell your home at market value, or he will pay the difference. He can also make you a guaranteed offer right up front within 24 hours of you reaching out to him, if that's preferable. He has a proprietary state-of-the-art marketing technology if you're in the selling Space and he has a private database of homes that will soon be going on the market if you are looking to buy. Reach out to James Wexler at jameswexler.com or give him a call at 480-386-0711, jameswexler.com. We're talking to Tevi Troy, presidential historian. And uh, before we go back into Jonathan Alter and the Reagans um, and Carter Tevi, my uh, producer, Bill, whom you know, had a funny thought during the break he said would it be interesting he usually does. yeah he usually does would it would it be interesting to make a list of lines thinking of the malay speech people never said that people think were said i think there are books about this um his other example yeah play it again sam was the other example humphrey bogart or rick blaine never says that the one i have seen for years is alexis de tocqueville america is isn't great because it isn't good because she's great she's great because she's good that never happened you know there's a whole bunch of them but anyway um do you have more on that or should we move on i don't have any great ones off the top of my head fair enough uh, other than the we will move on (laughs) well (laughs) what they're trying to make reagan say in this documentary a bunch of things he never said when they turn they try and turn him into into a bigot racist but they have Kitty Kelly as Nancy as Nancy Reagan's um, biographer. They have Jonathan Alter. They go to Jonathan Alter a bunch. Uh, this guy is as left wing um, a writer as, as, as there is, and it seems to me an interesting project to try and prove to people what is manifestly not so: either that Reagan was a racist or that his presidency was a failed one. It's by acclamation not true in either case, and it would have been a better. You know, it's kind of like the end of Liberty Valance in a sense. You don't, in a, in opposite with Reagan, you don't need to do the myth. The reality is great. Yeah, look, I mean, it's similar, but the flip side of what's going on with Carter. Mm-hmm. There's a, an attempt to make Carter, in retrospect, look good, and Reagan, in retrospect, look bad. But anybody who lived through those times knows that Reagan had a great presidency, and Carter's was a disaster. And uh, it's very hard to overcome that. However, as people age, and look, we know that the millennials don't seem to have great historical memory. That's why they seem to like socialism, even though it's uh, it was such a destructive ideology, and uh, they don't really seem to remember the, the Cold War. So uh, the historians, and you know that that group, uh, even though I am one, is overall dominated by the left, and so they kind of put they try and put their spin on things. This was not a good a good year for. Um uh movies for a lot of reasons a lot a lot having to do with covid and a lot having to do with the fact that good movies have ceased coming out for some time now was it a, a year for good books i actually read a lot of really interesting books this year and um happy to talk about them and one of my favorite books of the year one that i reviewed for the claremont review books which uh, we discussed earlier uh was a book called author in chief by craig Furman. Craig Furman is this guy who got a PhD, I believe, from Yale, uh, and has been working on this book for over 10 years. It was a real labor of love. And it's a book about what presidents wrote. But just to say that it's a book about what presidents wrote is misleading in that the book is really about the history of the written word in America since its founding. There's so much more to the book, and it's so rich that uh, I really I, I couldn't recommend it more highly. I, I, I love the book, and uh, I thought it was 
fantastic. He has a great story in there about Babe Ruth. As I said, it's more than about just presidents. And Babe Ruth is talking to a reporter, and the reporter is saying, what authors do you like? And Ruth gets confused and says, Arthur's? And uh, the guy says, no, authors, writers, not people named Arthur. Mm-hmm. And, and so Ruth says to him, well, Christy Walsh is my favorite author. And, I mean, you're probably flummoxed because I didn't know who Christy Walsh was either. Right. And uh, Ruth explains that uh, Christy Walsh was the writer of his, uh, the ghostwriter of his syndicated column. Oh. Okay. So he kind of approaches it. It shows you how uh, Ruth approached the written word. Uh, but there's just so many gems like that. It talks about them. Um, uh, not only Woodrow Wilson's love of detective novels, but how he helped ma- mainstream detective novels a- in America. So, uh, again, Craig Furman, author in chief, fantastic book, and I recommend it highly. That's so funny. That is so funny. All right, I want to do other books uh, with you when we come back. What was the Goldwater line about conscience of a conservative? He said he read some of it and disagreed with other parts of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with Debbie Troy. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If um, if you're looking to boost your energy, your health, your immunity, you want balance of nature. I take it every single day. I can't say enough how much I like it. It's a favorite product I've ever taken or endorsed. It's the most effective whole food supplement on the market. Tens of thousands of vital nutrients with one daily dose. Haven't been sick all year. And I usually get sick several times. Now add international travel. Couldn't do without it. Balance of Nature has a great deal right now offering free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. We're talking to presidential historian Tevi Troy, book reviewer Tevi Troy. Tevi, you'll like this email. Uh, that just came in. Seth, thank you and your guests today for saying what I've known for years, that Obama was not a great speech maker, contrary to what the popular media line was. In fact, I thought he had a rather stuttering start-stop aspect to his speech. It never flowed or sounded natural. Compare him to a Richard or David Attenborough who could both bring English to life and do it honor. And between those examples, you have both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, right. No, I, I, I think that's all true. I don't think Obama was a great speech maker, giver. I don't think he, he had give a great one speech great writer. Speech, though. Give, you got to give him credit for that. What's that? The one great one speech. speech. You know, one speech. One. One. Before he was president. Yeah. Right. Exactly. All right. Other books uh, of the year. Um, there will be a book. I don't know when it's coming out. There was news today that Kellyanne Conway just inked a major deal to write a book uh, on her time in the Trump administration. I imagine it will have some people in the administration quaking a little bit, um, but I bet it will be a big seller. I bet I bet it will be. Beth, can I reserve time on the show already now yeah. for when that book comes out? Yeah. Because I would love to discuss that with yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That will that, be an interesting book. That will be a bestseller. Um Boy, in a time when you don't see big advances, she she sure got one. But, you know, what they put her through, she deserves it. We'll see if I still say that after the book. I bet I yeah, will. Hopefully she can repair all the family challenges. Yeah, too. no kidding. <laughs> I know. The, they, the, the way the media exploited that, though, was disgusting, I thought. Anyway, yeah. tell, me, tell me some of the books you read this year that came out this year that were great. I have two books in front of me, both by guys named Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Like ben Shapiro's How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, yep. and Ilya Shapiro's Supreme Disorder right. about a history of judicial nomination. Mm-hmm. Now, Shapiro makes a point that I think you would really like, which is he says there are three key elements that make America America. One is America's philosophy of reason, equality, liberty, and limited government. The second is the culture 
of individual rights. And the third one is America's shared history. All three of those are essential to the American character. Without any one of them, the whole thing seems to, to, uh, to topple or, or teeter, I would say. You need all three. And unfortunately, the whole book uh, called uh, How to Destroy American Stuff is is dedicated to pointing out that the left is going after all three of those things, American philosophy, American history, and American culture, uh, by trying to weaken those things. And in, in doing so, you'd be weakening America. Uh, Tevi, um, have you been surprised? I mean, you've been a, um, a student of politics for a long time, dissertation in it, uh, in, in American political politics and culture. Are you surprised with how dominant the far left has become in American institutions? We used to say, okay, they have Hollywood, they have the media, maybe they have colleges and universities. Now, definitively, they do. We're waking up to how much they have in elementary and secondary. And then they've moved even further into corporations and um, even professional sports. Are you surprised how, how far the left has spread? I'm surprised how fast it's happened. Because it used to be that you could count on universities to be far left. But I wouldn't say Hollywood and the media were necessarily far left. They were liberal. Uh, but, you know, Hollywood is still about getting people's, well, back in the day, I get, you know, getting people's... Uh, uh, backsides and feet, and therefore there's a fundamental uh, capitalist nature to the enterprise, even if uh, many of the, the actors profess these crazy liberal ideas. So uh, Hollywood, in, in the past, was, again, liberal, but couldn't get too far out there. Uh, same with the media, they felt to sell newspapers. But I think in recent years, they've, they both seem to have gone off the deep end. The corporations were seen as kind of a conservative uh, bulwark, but now they are no longer. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that uh, having people trained at these elite liberal, woke institutions uh, have started to have effects in other areas, downstream effects that are, I think are very worse. It's, it, the, you use the word fast, how fast it all moved. And you're right, Hollywood did always have a liberalism to it, but it also had a conservatism to it. And I just love pointing out the picture from 1972 of a campaign event for Ronald Reagan a re-election campaign, I guess it was 1970, a re-election campaign event for Ronald Reagan for governor where he's surrounded by what was Hollywood, uh, Jimmy Stewart, Frank Sinatra, John Wayne, um, someone else, someone else, two or three others. That was Hollywood in 1970. That existed too. Uh, right. Barbara Streisand gave John Wayne his Academy Award. You know, right. <laughs> I mean, that would no sooner happen to now they want to remove John Wayne's name off the airport. You know, right. um, and, and, but look at the movies that Hollywood made. I mean, again, they um, yes, by all, all liberal actors, liberal directors. Uh, but you know, if Rocky Four celebrates America's right. victory over the Soviet Union, and you have um, uh, you have Hunt for Red October, which, all right. that kind Hunt of Hunt for Red October. Yeah. I mean, all these. Are, are basically taking the premise that America is good mm -hmm. and the audience feels good if America triumphs. And that was the 80s, so again... Yeah. The 80s. And look in the 90s, um, Air Force One, get off my plane. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that was not a conservative president, mm -hmm. but uh, he had a very conservative sentiment right there. So, uh, I think or true lies, you know, where the enemy could be the actual terrorist that we know of, right? You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. Yeah, anyway, go ahead. But... Um, but I think we, we started to get away from that. First, the movies are, you know, woker than ever, and, and I, I find all, almost unwatchable. Uh, but second, there, there's not really a sense that America is is the entity to be rooting for anymore. So 
uh, I, I think uh, Hollywood, you know, complains, oh, people don't go to the seats anymore, you know, the, 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 the model's in trouble. Well, the model's in trouble because they're not making movies that make people feel good about right. themselves or their country. That's right. This is the old Medved thesis, isn't it? If they, if they, if they did movies that families wanted, they'd do, they'd do a lot better. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Michael Medved was, was quite right about that. And groundbreaking. That Hollywood, Hollywood versus America. Boy, that was a long Excellent time. book. Yeah. Ago. Yeah. Any other things before we we uh, turn you uh, back to your next book that you must be work, working on? Yeah, uh, let me just say on the on the other Shapiro book mm-hmm. on the um, on the Supreme Disorder, he talks about the Supreme Court nominations and the, the history of confirmation battles, and it's really interesting. He said that the number one factor that determines if there's going to be a problem with a confirmation battle is who controls the Senate. If the President's party controls the Senate, ninety uh, percent chance that the nominee is going to be confirmed. And if the other party controls the Senate, only a 60% chance. No kidding. Based on history. And then just one more thing on that, which he said almost half of all American presidents have seen a Supreme Court nomination fail on their watch. Almost half of all Americans have seen a Supreme Court nomination fail on their watch. It's a 22 out of 45. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't be hard to assess. Uh, Lyndon Johnson had Abe Fortas. and then, of course, we know Nixon had a Reagan couple, obviously did. and Reagan a couple. obviously had Bork. Yeah, yeah, you could do it. You could do it. Tevi Troy, you're the best. Thanks so much, Seth. You and, bet. Uh, happy holidays to all your listeners. Thanks a lot. And his latest book out this year, Fight House, Rivalries in the White House, from Truman to Trump. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Rob's in surprise. Hello, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. I'm, I'm sorry I missed Tevi. You guys were talking about, you know, speeches, memorable or otherwise. And I, I was reminded back of uh, back in the day of the, uh, the Eisenhower speech, I guess it was at the end of his uh, term in office. And, you know, this is the military-industrial complex speech. But there was really so much more in that specific speech. I think it's one of the greatest ones. Uh, in American history. I mean, he, he talked about, well, he talked about a lot of things, obviously the Soviet threat and and the military-industrial complex and the warnings and everything, but I mean, he, he was talking about, uh, you know, our American adventure in free government. Our basic purposes have been to keep the peace, to foster progress and human achievement, mm-hmm. to enhance liberty, dignity, and integrity among people and among nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to strive for less would be unworthy of a free and religious people. Uh, you know, and it goes on and on and on, and then he starts going into, uh, you know, the, the the proposal for how you run the government has to have broader considerations, maintaining balance in and among programs, between private and public economy, between cost and hope for advantage, between clearly necessarily and comfortably desirable, and, and so on and so on. And then, of course, uh, keeping the peace with the military establishment. Uh, he talks about, uh, you know, before the world conflicts, we had no industrial armaments industry. Uh, you know, they, they, we had makers of plowshares that could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We've been compelled to create a permanent armament industry. You know what's interesting, war. Rob, is the left loves to um, extract that military-industrial complex warning in the front of a lot of its movies – there's That's another right. line in that speech I would recommend we pay attention to. Can I give it to you? Absolutely. He's talking about the explosion <laughs> of scientific research. 
and how great yeah. it is. And he says, and how much money went to uh, private universities for that very purpose that had never been done before. And then he says, yet in holding scientific research and discovery in respect as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of the scientific and technological elite. Oh, yeah. Reminds me of this year a little bit. Yeah, no kidding. But, I mean, this is a speech I encourage every American to read and absorb and reflect upon. Even though it was, you know, 60 years ago, um, I still think it's one of the great speeches and probably one of the more underrated. Oh, I don't think age has anything to do with it. I think you're absolutely right. I would I would recommend his farewell speech as, as quickly as I would George Washington's, right? You betcha. You betcha. God bless you, Rob. Thank you very, very much. We'll be right back.